before you. We ask you to bless this time as we look at your word and, and help us to see what you would have us to see in your son's precious name. Amen. Psalm 136. This is a, another history lesson. I mean, one of the things I'm noticing about Psalms, a lot of the Psalms are history lessons that they would sing. So they wanted to remember their history. But, uh, history. So we're going to read this one and we're going to come back and uh, take it apart. So, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endures forever. To him alone does great wonders, for his mercy endures forever. To him that by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endures forever. To him that stretched out the earth upon, above the waters, for his mercy endures forever. To him that made great lights, for his mercy endures forever. For the sun to rule by day, for his mercy endures forever. The moon and the stars to rule by night, for his mercy endures forever. To him that smote Egypt in their firstborn, for his mercy endures forever. And brought out Israel from among them, for his mercy endures forever. With a strong hand, with outstretched arm, for his mercy endures forever. To him that divided the Red Sea into parts, for his mercy endures forever. And made Israel to pass through the midst of it, for his mercy endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his mercy endures forever. To him which led his people through the wilderness, for his mercy endures forever. To him that smote great kings, for his mercy endures forever. And slew famous kings, for his mercy endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his mercy endures forever. And Og, the king of Bashan, for his mercy endures forever. And gave their land for a heritage, for his mercy endures forever. Even a heritage unto Israel, his servant, for his mercy endures forever. Who remembered us in our low estate, for his mercy endures forever. And has redeemed us from the, our enemies, for his mercy endures forever. Who gives food to, the, to all flesh, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord of heaven, for his mercy endures forever. It's just a slight one. It's got a chorus after every statement. Uh, and the song most likely would have been sung with somebody singing the, singing the first sentence and then probably somebody else repeating as a, as a response back, his mercy, for his mercy endures forever. That's how, that's how I would picture this song being sung. We're going to get into that. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. Thanks is giving him laud and praise. You know, do, do we really give God enough thanks? Do we confess his name? Do we give him you know, a lot of, you know, God, you are so wonderful? We probably as Christians need to do more of that than a lot of what we spend time talking about and other things. We do what we call praying, but we don't do any of that. Oh, we don't do much praying either when we really think about what he wants. You know, remember in our prayer uh, guide, we've got the acronym ACTS. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And this giving thanks to God, giving him laud, giving him adoration for who he is, and then confessing our faults. And I've always said it probably should be cats, but it's been ACTS for forever. You know, we probably should start with confession. <laughs> and then go to adoring him, and then go to thanksgiving, and then to supplication. And that should be our smallest part of our prayer time. And yet for the average Christian, supplication, we put supplication at the top, 
maybe give him some thanks if we're really lucky, and giving him adoration and confession is not our usual thing. Giving him, giving him our requests. That's about as far as most Christians go. That's prayer time for most people. Well, no, but God, God wants the adoration. He wants the, the confession. He wants the thanksgiving. And uh, oftentimes, all we do is give him our supplications. And that, but then it says, for his mercy endures forever. God's mercy, his not giving us what we deserve. And ultimately, his mercy does endure forever, even though there will be judgment at times. His mercy endures for all of time. At the end of time, the white throne judgment and everybody will be cast into hell who's rejected Jesus Christ and his mercy does not endure beyond time for them. But for us, as his, as his children, his mercy will still endure, even though he's glorified us and made us perfect, it would be because of his mercy that he has given us all of this. At the end of time, at the white throne judgment, those who have rejected Jesus Christ will be cast into hell. There won't be mercy wow. at that time. They've got mercy their entire life to choose him. The only thing that will send anybody to hell is the rejection of Jesus Christ. Okay, it's, it doesn't mean all the actions and everything we do. We will be accountable for those. There will be consequences for them. But what sends people to hell is to reject Jesus Christ. They're not perfect. And, they're not, and they'll be literally, when they stand before God in the white throne judgment, they're standing in their own righteousness, which he says is, is filthy rags, and he sends them to hell for their own righteousness. Because Jesus paid for sin. And we have no right, we have no righteousness, and neither does the lost world, but they will be judged for the fact that they have filthy rags on and not the righteousness of Christ when they stand before God. Because sin is dealt with. But to be clothed in our righteousness, you know, and that's what people don't get. They go, I hope I'm good enough to go to heaven. And they're clothed in filthy rags of their own righteousness. They're going to hell. Yes, my question is, how can we be so sure that we have the... Because you know Jesus. You either know him or you don't know him. And if you know him, you know that you know him. Okay. I have no doubt that I know Jesus. The, the things he's done in my life, the relationship that we've had, and the blessings he's given me for my entire life, I have no doubt that I know him. And I've never doubted it. Even when I was backslidden, I didn't doubt that I knew him. I just knew that I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. But I didn't doubt that I knew him. Because he changed my life drastically when I was 10 years old. In such a way that I know that I know that I know I know that I'm saved because he says I am in the word. And I don't doubt his word in any way, shape, or form. No matter what I feel, I don't doubt what he says in the word is true. And too many people base their decisions on how do I feel. God, I don't feel that you love me, so therefore you don't love me, and therefore I can't believe that I'm a Christian. We're all guilty of that at some degree, but when I put my trust in his word and my faith is in the facts of the word, my feelings don't matter whether they follow or don't follow. Feelings lie to us all the time. I don't feel loved by God, so therefore I must not be loved is, is what, where, where I will go in the flesh. God says he loves me. 
The word says he loves me. So I have facts from the word. I have the faith in the facts. And it doesn't matter what my feelings were. I'm going through a really hard time. God says all things work together for good. I put faith in that statement. And it doesn't matter how I feel about what's going on because my feelings are irrelevant. Okay? Most people go, I can't love this person because I feel so angry at them. Well, forget your feelings. Stand in the facts that God says to love them unconditionally and put your faith in the facts. And your feelings come along eventually. When we put our trust in facts and have faith in the facts, our feelings will eventually follow along behind us. More people get into more trouble because they, they act on their feelings. The, the prisons and jails are full of people who act on their feelings and nobody loves me, nobody cares for me, so therefore it doesn't matter what I do and their feelings have lied to them. More people get divorced because they're feeling, they've lost that feeling of love and, and they'll hear things, I never loved them. And it's probably true, you never loved them because you didn't have a absolute objective love for somebody. We've got to be careful. Feelings lie to us. Uh, that's when this person doesn't like me. Well, what makes you think that? Well, I just feel like they don't like me. And when you hear both sides of the stories, they really like you. They may not know how to express it. They may not, you know, you, you just think, you know, you saw them when they had just gotten bad news and you, they looked at you in a way that made you think or feel like, you know, this person's mad at me. Uh, and they just gotten really bad news or a really bad event. And, you know, we put, we need to have all our decisions based in the facts that God gives us and the faith of those facts. And then feelings become irrelevant. And just as I said, you know, we think we're having a bad time. God says all things work together. I put my faith in those facts and it doesn't matter how I feel about what's going on in my life. Most people want to put the little word my, all things work together for my good, and that's not in the verse. I know, that's, that's what we're separated from. Well, the biggest problem is we as humans are selfish. Everything is about me, even when I'm living in my flesh. Worship is not about us. God's word is not about us. His blessings are not about us. Uh, how people look or, you know, or we look at them is not really about us. If we're living in a crucified flesh, it becomes all about God, and we're able to say it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether I'm right or wrong when I'm discussing something with somebody because it's just not that important in most cases. I don't have to sit there and argue until you, you know, you either get mad at me or believe my case just because I know that I'm right. And, that may, and that's literally even if you are right. You don't have to be right all the time and, and cause a schism with people just because you have to be right. We, we in our flesh have a deep, selfish nature that I have to be right. It has, you have to do what I want. And that causes so many problems. Again, the whole process on this is God's mercy is there for us. And this is that, that whole thing, He's, his mercy. You know, I love the fact that God is so merciful to us. Because... Man, we'd be in trouble if he wasn't merciful. Yeah, all of us would be. All of us would be. And there will be no good in, in hell, and there will be no bad in heaven. So we look at this and we say, we put our trust in his word. And, and we look at the facts of the word, we put our faith in the facts, and we basically ignore our feelings. Because even if we're feeling good, it's still irrelevant. 
our feelings really do not have an impact, whether they're good or bad, because your feelings will lie to you. They'll tell you that something is good when it's a bad thing. So again, we need to say or put our feelings on the back burner of our decisions and put it all on the facts that God gives us and the faith of those facts. And usually when you do that, your, faith, your feelings go along behind all that and just follow and match up to what God is teaching you by facts. All right, verse 2. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods, for his mercy endures forever. So again, give laud and praise to the God that's above all other gods. And you'll note that that's a big G and a little g. All right. So it is the God above any other thing that you might think are gods. And this is something, if we are focused on God and thanking God, it's pretty easy to stay focused on him. Uh, because we're looking at, we have our eyes on the right thing. When we get our eyes off God, that's when things get tough. At least it's been in my case. If I take my eyes off God, and I've mentioned this, sometimes if your eyes are on God, you walk through the hardest storms, and you kind of look back and say, whoa, what a mess back there I just walked through. And was it really that bad? And you kind of go, yeah, it was. If your eyes are off God, it doesn't take much of a breeze or, or a pebble in the road, and you're flat on your face, you know, wallowing around in the mud and nothing really was there because your eyes weren't focused in the right place. And those are the times when we feel miserable and terrible. We give thanks to the God of gods. Verse 3, Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords. <laughs> and again, he's Lord, Master. The sad thing for most Christians in our walk is that we don't look at him as Lord and Master. We kind of have this attitude, God, if I like what you're telling me to do, I'll do it. If not, then I'll go do whatever I want. And this is a real problem in America, especially. Even in Europe now, because they don't, they're not used to kings. But there was a time when this was written when people knew what a lord was. They knew that if the sovereign or the lord told you to do something, your question was, as the old, one, the old statement was, you didn't ask him why, you asked him how high. You know, you want me to jump? How high? And this is what he's saying. Give thanks to the Lord who is above all lords. So it was the same thing with Saul. And he, I mean, Saul was, was actually elected over somebody else. But he, God chose Saul because it's who the people wanted. The people wanted a king like all the other kings in the, in the, in the, around them. What was the king that was around them? The tall guy, the guy that would lead them into battle, the strong warrior type. You didn't look for a pipsqueak. You looked for somebody who stood above the crowd. And so God gave them just what they wanted. Yeah, they weren't looking for David. They were looking for somebody. And it says that he stood head and shoulders above everybody. He's the one that in the middle of a crowd, ah, there's our king. In the middle of the battle, that's him. He's standing up. We can see him. God gave them what they wanted. They said, I want a king like the rest of the, of the people. So give thanks to the Lord of Lords. You know, and we need to really place God as Lord of our life. Now, we'll use the term, he's Lord, he's Master. But you know, most of the time we don't mean it as a Christian. Because we kind of have this picture of, God, if I think I like what you're doing, you can come sit on the throne. But when I don't like what you're doing, you know, go back in the back room someplace. And when I need you, I'll call you. The old 70s and 80s bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot. You know, God is not supposed to be our co-pilot. He had better be our pilot. 
We're not the one driving our life. He is. But that sticker, you know, it was cute. It was pithy, but it was totally non-good, uh, not good theology. The thing about it that's really important is the flesh likes the idea that I'm in charge and God is my advisor. Talking to a couple of pastors the other day, and they go, isn't it amazing God hasn't put any of us on his advisory board? God doesn't have an advisory board, and yet we want to always be thinking about, God, you really should be doing it this way. You should be doing this. You should be doing that. Yeah, we're not on the steering committee, the advisory board, the, 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 the elder board, whatever term you want to use. We're not up there trying to tell him what we should or shouldn't be doing if we're doing it right. And yet we all do it. We all do it. God, I don't understand. You know, every, even when I say, God, I don't understand, but I'm going to accept, I'm still not even in the right place when I do that because I'm trying to tell God, somehow, God, you're supposed to explain yourself to me so that I understand. And we don't want to be in that place. Now, I'd rather be, God, I don't understand, but I'm going to trust you is a better attitude of, God, I'm going to fight you tooth and nail until you explain your... Explain why you're doing this to me. You know, that was what was going on with uh, Job and his friends. They all, his friends thought they knew what was going on. Job was struggling with why is this all going on and was becoming kind of rebellious. We have to get to the place where we just relinquish to God to be God. If we're in a place where we think we need to understand everything that God does, we're going to be very rebellious because we're not going to relent to what he wants us to do. It's very important for us to understand he's God. You know, every once in a while people will tell a joke that they only learn two things in seminary. There's only one God, and I'm not him. <laughs> but it is, true, it is a very true statement. There's only one God, and I'm not him. I do not need to understand why anything happens to me. I don't need to understand why he asks me to do anything. All, my job is a real simple one. Do what he asks. Instead of fighting, instead of trying to understand what's going on, God has allowed this to happen for whatever reason he wants it to happen, and say, God, I trust you. This is what we have to be able to understand. God, whatever you want, I'm willing to just let it be what you want. Now, that doesn't mean we're being fatalistic or anything. It's just meaning that... God, I'm willing to do what you want, whatever that might be. Fox's Book of Martyrs is full of people that have that attitude. If I'm going to go die, Lord, let me be a testimony to your strength and power. And they, so many of them were a testimony to the strength and power. When they were being humiliated on all the different ways they were humiliated, being run through the town stark naked on their way to, to, their, to their punishment, to be humiliated, they would do it with all the grace that God could give them. And they would be singing praises to God and just standing for God. You know, is that how we're going to be? The only way we can be that way is if we have full trust in God, no matter what happens. We need to stand and say, God, I'm willing to take whatever you are going to allow to come my way without fighting it, without struggling with it. It doesn't mean that we may not have problems that we deserve. There's, if we do sins and we get consequences, we deserve it. But even that, God's allowing to come our way and we'll use for good. When he allows things to come our way that we don't understand and don't necessarily deserve, we understand that God says, I'm letting it come your way for my reasons. 
Uh, and I love Job because Job's exactly that. He didn't understand what was going on. We do because we read the first two chapters. Right. He didn't know what was going on. And you know, we need to be able to just turn to God and say, God, I accept that you are God. Job was not an isolated event. I'm absolutely convinced that Job was not an isolated event. He is just the one that we were told about. I can tell you right now, I'm sure God is up there. Satan comes up and says, you know, God says, where, where have you been? Well, I've been wandering to and fro, looking, you know, looking, and God's going to say, have you considered my servant? And points to different people that are his God, servant. In that moment, is he gonna, he's only going to pick somebody that's like? He's going to pick whoever he wants to put on the witness stand of heaven to be a witness for the grace of, and mercy of God. Usually he's not going to pick somebody who's already sloshing around in the mud, no. He's going to pick somebody who's walking, walking strong with him, and then that's when we have our big test. And that's what most people do. They wallow in self-pity. You know, if you deserve it, <laughs> take your punishment. And if you don't deserve it, you go, okay, God, what are you trying to teach me? What are we trying to learn here? And again, it comes down to allowing our flesh to be crucified. It's not all about me. My, my punishment is about me, but it's God choosing my punishment. And if he's testing me, it's not about me and it's not personal. It is literally when I'm being tested is, am I going to trust in God and pass this test? Or am I going to trust in myself and fall flat on my face and then he still has to pick me up? And another thing that you found in your head in over six years, sin is always punished. Yes, always. Sin is always punished. Punished. There's consequence for sin. But it'll only mess up your day if you're saying, God, this happened and you did not know that it was going to happen. Even though somebody else does something, God still allowed it to come your way. Because he will stop much. And we'll be surprised when we get to heaven and see how much he stopped. Oh, we have no clue as to all the, what God has stopped and what he has not allowed to come our way. But, you know, it all comes down to, is my focus on God? Or is my focus on how I'm affected. My situation. And I have a friend, he, he calls it attitude. What is my attitude about everything? And I call it putting my eyes on God, and that's my attitude. I want to focus on God as much as possible. Because if I'm not focused on God, everything, everything becomes about me. Everything bad is, oh, woe is me. Everything good is, oh, how happy I am. To be so at peace with God is in control that it doesn't matter what happens to me. You're not going to be able to control it. You can't stop anything bad from happening to me. If I was arrested tomorrow for being a Christian and, and put to death tomorrow, you know, the next day for being a Christian, I can't change it. I can't control it. Uh, so I just say, God, you're in control. And this is the key. Understanding that God is in control. If anything comes our way, Number one, he's going to give us the strength to go through it. These guys that died in the, in the book of, you know, in Fox's book of martyrs and, and those who weren't in his book, but those who die for Christ are being given the strength and the grace to go through their death and honor God. And it's wonderful to be able to do that. Well, as the apostles, and we've said this before, when the apostles stood and were punished, their answer was, thank God that I'm worthy of suffering for Christ. That is not the attitude most of us have when we suffer for Christ. But that is the attitude I ask God, help me learn so that if I'm suffering for you, 
that I have the attitude of thank you, God, for allowing me to be the testimony of you. The less we re rely on God, we will, and this goes back to my first, we can go through a storm with our eyes focused on God, but we'll get knocked down by a feather when our eyes aren't focused on God. So we go back to what Peter thing, the Peter thing, like walking in the water. And he took his eyes off God and, and, and put it on the storm and he, and he sank. Uh, if you don't have your eyes focused on God, you're going to feel crushed. Your eyes are focused on God. He delivers you out of every problem. Because the last part of that verse is there, he will provide a way of escape. What is the escape? Jesus Christ. God, I'm putting my eyes on you. You are my escape. You are the one that's going to hold me in the middle of this storm and get me through whatever this temptation is. And I've said, even when I quote that verse, every temptation is designed to break us in our flesh. All right? It will break us. If we try to stand in our flesh, the temptation will break us. We must depend on God to get through the temptation. All right? And again, where are our eyes focused? Who are we focused on? Because the, the, everything he does, he does not want us standing in our own flesh. He will make sure that in our flesh we fail. He doesn't necessarily take it away. He carries us through it. Just as Jesus, when he answered Satan, is eventually Satan gets tired of playing around with Jesus. Jesus is the answer in our temptation. And Satan sees, oh, Jesus answered the door. And that's where everything is about him. The more we focus on him, the easier life gets. And it's taken me years to get there. And you guys are having the advantage of me teaching you what I have spent 46 years learning so that you guys get to start at a higher level because it's all about him. Everything. If it's about me, I'm in trouble because I'm going to fail. So even Moses being out in the wilderness for 40 years before, that was all about God. It was all about God, lifting up God and helping him understand God. When Moses was spending his first 40 years, he was being taught to be a ruler of people. The next 40 years, he was being humbled to be able to listen to, God, listen to God's voice. Because that's usually what God needs for us to listen to him. And then the next 40 years was combining both of them and making him a leader of people again. You know, we need to keep this in mind. Sometimes God puts us in a really tough place for a long period of time to teach us to depend on him. Especially if we're hard-headed. The more hard-headed we are, the more we have to spend time in the wilderness being broken. You know, the softer we are and the quicker we turn to God, the less time we have to spend in the wilderness. The children of Israel should not have had to spend 40 years in the wilderness to be broken by God, other than the fact that they rejected doing what God told them to do in the first place. So they spent 40 years in the wilderness while they all died out and they could bring the next generation in. And if they had rejected, he would have sent them back out to the wilderness for another 40 years. But you know, how many times do we as Christians spend our entire life in the wilderness? Struggling, fighting, arguing with God because we just don't want to do what he has asked us to do when it comes right down to it. So he puts us in the wilderness with all the snakes and the manna and the, and the murmuring about the, what he provides for us. And, and then having him give us stuff and then murmuring about what he gives us and 
and not going into the promised land of spiritual maturity. And unfortunately, most Christians spend their entire life in the wilderness. They never cross over Jordan into spiritual benefit. What had happened when they went into the promised land? In seven years, they conquered the promised land. We just talked about that in Joshua. Seven years to conquer the entire promised land. And they had spent all these 40 years wandering around in the desert, complaining and griping about what God wasn't doing for them. And he's going, well, you're, no, the wilderness isn't where I'm supposed to be doing it. We need to get you over into spiritual maturity in the promised land. And the promised land wasn't heaven, but it was a whole lot better than wandering around the wilderness. They had all the orchards and the plants and all the victories in the promised land. They had the ground swallowing up entire families and snakes coming in and biting them for their sins and you know, plagues you know, in, the, in the wilderness because God was trying to break their pride and make them listen to him. And yet we as Christians oftentimes wander around dry, thirsty in the, in the wilderness and God's saying, oh, you got, let's, let's get across the river. Let's get across the river and live in abundance. Many people are, they're just not willing to surrender their life completely to God. They've accepted him as their savior, not necessarily as their Lord, uh, but you're right, many of them may not be saved as well. The salvation is so simple, but living our salvation is a really tough job. Our being sanctified is a really tough job. And it, but even that is not tough if we let him crucify our flesh. And the more we let him crucify our flesh, the easier things get. And we have to understand, I am nothing. You know, I am nothing. It's all God. And the more I think I am something, the harder my life will be. The more I accept that I am nothing and it's all God, the more likely I am to get out of the wilderness, into the promised land and living in abundance, spiritual abundance with him, because it's all about him. As long as I think it's about me, I'm in the wilderness. We had an entire generation of people that died in the wilderness. And the problem with the wilderness, and we're going to say this, you know, the problem with wandering around in the wilderness is we begin to think that it's normal. It's normal to be thirsty. It's normal to be having all these trials. And God's saying, no, it's not normal. I want you in the promised land not out here in the wilderness where you've, where you've gotten used to things being the way they are. And there are many people who are just so used to things being the way they are and being dry and, and having a hard struggle that they can't even picture the promised land and how great it is to be in the promised land. Complacent. Complacent's a great word. Or acceptant. You know, it, well, this is just the way it's always going to be. It has to be God. To crucify our flesh is to release God to be crucifying our flesh, to put ourselves on that sacrificial order and say, God, kill who I am and live through me. And this is why it's important. God wants our flesh dead. All right? Anything we do in the flesh is not going to stand before God, even if it seems to have some good results. I've seen teachers who teach with no spirit of God in them. They're just good teachers, and people learn from them. And 
I shared with pastors one time, we as pastors learn to teach. And there may be times when we're teaching in the flesh and we're giving out wood, basically. It's good, solid teaching, but it's my flesh doing it. Now, what you receive may not be wood. You may receive gold, silver, and, and gems because it's God's word being taught. But what I can give out sometimes is wood. And that happens a lot. It happens most of the time with me. That nothing goes the way I had planned on, on teaching it. It's God using your voice and you and you. And this is what he does. And the more we listen to him and the more he comes out, the more people are touched. My goal and I teach is that I want to make things applicable to life and get people used to this is how you walk in the spiritual life. Well, I can tell you right now, there are times when I'm listening to Dr. McGee on Through the Bible or, or Chuck Smith, who I've listened to forever, and they'll say something. I'm going, oh, I was just teaching that. I thought I came up with that. And it's like, I must have heard him say it you know, 30 years ago, and it got stuck in my mind. You know, and you do, you get to the place where you think it's you saying it because it's God saying it. And, you know, you just say it and all of a sudden you realize, that, you know, you'd heard somebody else say it a hundred times or, or in the past, you know. Well, where did that come from? That was really, really good, you know. But this is what God is looking for us to do. Put all of our faith in him. We take all this information that we're given through various teachers and through the word. It is meshed up with the Holy Spirit, and there's times when we're going to speak it totally thinking that it's fresh and new, and it's my idea, what is God's, God's idea, and you find out that somebody else is the one that put it in your brain in the first place. <laughs> Nothing new under the sun. And when you speak the truth, it's going to keep being repeated, because how many different ways can you speak the truth? I mean, it is just what it is. You know, they are the facts that we deal with, and we keep getting over and over the same information. And the one thing I have learned, especially now being a pastor teaching five times a week, God repeats himself an awful lot in the Bible. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah, we're sheep, you know, we're sheep. But, you know, God's patience is just so amazing because there's times when I've been teaching in different books, and I'm going, did I teach this? Have I already taught this chapter? Because it's the same exact thing I taught in another book. Because God repeats himself. God knows that we are slow learners. You know, and all we can do is get to know him well enough that we accelerate the speed a little bit. But you know what? As fast as I can learn now, I'm still think, feeling like I'm a slow learner. And I'm a whole lot faster learner now than I used to be. The biggest thing that God is asking us is, will you allow me to crucify your flesh, your way of thinking? Yes. And our goal should be, yes, God, crucify who I am. And when I tell people that I let God be my defense, I literally mean I let him be my defense. I do not want to strike out at people. I don't even want to hear most of what's going on because I don't want to have it stuck in my mind to try to figure something out. I would just want God, you be my defender, and God will defend us. And the scary thing is when God's your defense, people can be in trouble. If they're coming against you, they, God does not allow his children to be attacked, even by his other children. But God is looking for us to be able to put all of our trust in him. And he's going to arrange it that we will put our trust in him or we're going to fall flat on our face. And you know, the more we get to the place where, God, I just want to trust you. I just want to put all my faith and trust in you no matter what comes my way. 
And that doesn't mean we take everything passively and just say, okay, God, you know, we put some deep prayer into it. When there's some things going on, God, where do you want me to be with this? When do I say something? When don't I say something? What do I do? How do I do it? And there's some serious prayer that goes into it. There's things going on in my life right now that I put some very serious prayer into because I want God to be my defense, but I'm not going to be passive about it either. It doesn't mean I never say a word or I don't deal with certain things. There's times when you deal with something and you go, you deal with it, but you make sure that it's what God wants you to do at the right time. And that's why it's tough. And I will, I will err on the side of just letting God deal with things before I will open my mouth without being sure that that's what he wants me to do. I had, I had an event in my life just recently that I needed to get counsel on, and the first person who counseled it to me, I rejected. I'm going, no, that doesn't sound right. And then when two other people give me the same exact counsel, it's like, okay, God, I know I'm a little thick. Let me, let me uh, accept this now. And sometimes we need counsel from people on, on issues. Just make sure that the right people to get counsel from and be careful what you say. And most people have a real big problem with forgiveness. God's theme on the scriptures is forgiveness. It really is. But that's where a lot of people, that's where most people are. Well, I'll forgive them when they ask. And really that is a statement of, I'm not going to forgive them anyway. I may tell them that I've forgiven them. But unless you're willing to forgive them no matter what, and walk away from it, whether they ever ask for it or not, you're not for, you haven't forgiven them. And even if they don't deserve your forgiveness, that you're giving them through Christ, if you don't give them it through Christ... All you do is hurt yourself. Go. Well, not even just with God, but if you are living in the bitterness of an unforgiving spirit, yeah. you're not going to do anything for God anyway. Because he's all about forgiveness. He really is. He's all... I mean, you can't read through probably any four or five pages in your Bible without him talking about forgiveness. I don't care where you pick, you know, you're going to find him talking about forgiveness and mercy and grace. And if you're not going to live that way, you're going to have a hard time living for God. It's one of our biggest problems is giving, giving forgiveness and grace. Because you know, we don't really can't give mercy because we, don't, we can't give people what they deserve anyway, mostly. But, you know, forgiveness, forgiveness and grace, though, is what he's really all about. If we learn to give forgiveness and grace to people, our life becomes so much simpler. Why? Because I'm not, if I give you forgiveness, I'm not going to feel bad every time I see you because I'm not holding it against you. You may feel bad when you see me because you know you don't deserve the way I'm treating you. You may think that I'm manipulating you because I've forgiven you. All right, let's close in prayer. And Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity. Lord, help us to learn to allow you to work in us. Help us to learn to be more forgiving and, and to allow ourselves to be put on the altar and for you to crucify our flesh and that you will live through us. And Lord, we just thank you for all that you've done. Give us opportunities to, to share with others and help us to learn all of this in your son's name. Amen.